Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> Go ahead and grab your seats. What's up, Hume? How you guys doing? It is great to meet you. My name is Nick, and I hail from Phoenix, Arizona. I am a church planter and the lead pastor of a local church right there in central Phoenix, and I'm very thankful to be here with you. Hey, where are our first timers at Hume Winter Camp? Okay. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you do a favor and just welcome me to Hume Winter Camp? Because this is my first time. Can you say welcome? Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thankful that I get to spend a few days with you guys. I love uh, Hume. This is my second time ever being to Hume Lake, and I have had a blast here, and really honored that we get the opportunity to open God's word together. Uh, really, at the outset, one of the things that I want you to know is that I am not nearly smart enough or clever enough or wise enough for anything I say to make a lasting impact on your life. But I do have God's word in my hands and God's spirit in my heart, and that means we have a good shot at God showing up this weekend in power to speak to us, to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to show us more of who he is and what he's up to in the world, and to invite us into that, and I am so thankful that we get to do it together. Uh, normally, this would be a chance where I would try to introduce myself to you and tell you a little bit about myself, but instead, I'd rather just trick you into trusting me by showing you my cute family. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. You guys want to see a picture of my family? This is our, my family right there. That is my wife, Rachel, and my two boys, Titus and Jude. Titus is three years old, and he is like the Tasmanian devil. He's got all kinds of energy. He is me in a little human body. It's kind of crazy, and that's Jude. He is very fat and very happy. <laughs> I mean, look at that guy. That's what we call winter protection. You could chuck him out in the frigid cold outside of this room, and he would make it. His cheeks have cheeks. I mean, look at that. And if that wasn't enough, like, cuteness overload for you, let's see Titus as a fireman. What do you think? So cute, right? And Jude is a pumpkin. And then let's see how they do weddings. Look at, look at little fat Jude, so happy there at the wedding. And then I, I think, I'm not sure, I, I, I can't confirm, but I think Titus had too much to drink at this wedding. Look at him. Like, that guy knows how to party. That's the guy you want to be hanging with on the dance floor with the little bow tie and everything. <laughs> Okay, hopefully uh, I have tricked you into trusting me by showing you my cute children. And now we get the opportunity to jump together into God's word. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it to the book of Jonah. It is very important that your eyes are on God's word. I'm gonna be reading this weekend from the ESV. Maybe you have a different version. The slides will also be uh, uh, on the screen and the scriptures will be there too, just so you can follow along in the version that I'm reading as well. Anyone know, uh, anyone know Sherlock Holmes? Familiar with Sherlock Holmes? Cool. There's an old story, and it goes like this. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went camping, and when they got to their destination, they set up their tent, they climbed inside because it was late at night, and they went to sleep. Some hours later, Sherlock wakes up and nudges his friend, and he says, Dear Watson, look up at the sky, and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions of stars. 
And Sherlock said, what does that tell you? And Watson says, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Orologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and significant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Sherlock? Sherlock was silent for a second, and then he said, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Now, you may have heard of the book of Jonah, as our friend Harrison alluded to, and chances are that you know Jonah as a story about a man being swallowed by a whale. And I'm just here to tell you at the outset this weekend that if we read the book of Jonah and we primarily think of it as a story about a man getting swallowed by a whale, like Watson, we have woefully missed what is crystal clear and right in front of us. Jonah is about so much more than a whale eating a man. First of all, let's get it straight. It was a fish, people. There's no whale in the story. We'll find out when we get there. And then not to mention, it is only in three of the 48 verses that make up Jonah. Jonah is about so much more than a whale. Jonah is a story about the heart of God and the hope of mankind. And that's what I wanna talk to you about. In Jonah, we see the heart of God in full display to show mercy to very lost and broken people. We see a story about how often our heart beats out of sync with that heart of God. You see, Jonah, though his name is on the book, he is not the hero of the story. In fact, Jonah is something of an anti-hero. Jonah is not the man. He's not a hero, he's a zero. As far as the job description that he has of being a prophet, he would be lucky to scrape by with a D minus. He's not crushing it. You see, one of the things we're gonna see as we move through this story is that everyone and everything in this story is going to obey God. We're gonna see all kinds of things. Water and a storm and wind and the fish and some pagan sailors. We're gonna see a worm and a plant and an idolatrous king. All of them are going to bow before and obey God. Everyone's gonna obey God except the one person who is supposed to, his prophet, Jonah. Jonah, rather than obeying God, he's gonna run from God. Jonah is supposed to be God's man, bringing God's message with God's power, and yet he is exactly the opposite. He is stubborn, he's disobedient, he's hateful, he's prideful, and he's a hypocrite. He is supposed to know God and to represent God and to speak on behalf of God, but instead, he's shallow, selfish, and he's a fool who only cares about himself. Now, I've got some hard news for us at the very outset. Because maybe you hear that and you think, man, take it easy, let's give Jonah a break here. You mean he's really all of those things? He's selfish, he's prideful, he's short-sighted, he's sinful, He's arrogant. Yes, Jonah is all those things. And here's the hard news for us. We are just like Jonah. As much as we would love to conceive of ourselves as someone who is maybe better than Jonah, 
or stronger than Jonah, as much as it comes naturally to us to point fingers and to read the story of Jonah and think, what an idiot. This guy, has, this guy has no idea what's going on here. How could he be so dumb? And to point our fingers at him and laugh at what, laugh at what a, a failure he is as a prophet. Instead of pointing fingers, what we need to do is look in the mirror. And Jonah is going to help us do that. We need to pay careful attention to see how Jonah oftentimes is a reflection of how we behave when it comes to relating to God and knowing God and living on the mission that he's called us to. And if you don't believe me, I wanna, I wanna just show you that we are like Jonah. Let me just read for you the first 10 verses of this story, and then we'll dive into understanding exactly how we're like Jonah. Verse one says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. We are just like Jonah. And this is something that we've got to face up to tonight. Though it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, it's something that we need to know and believe. And here's why. It's a little bit like driving in your car, for those of you who drive, and seeing the check engine light come on. It's not something that's ever pleasant to see. It means you're gonna have to go to the mechanic. It probably means you're gonna have to fork over way more money than you intended to. But here's what I would tell you. If you don't see the check engine light and you keep driving your car, it's gonna be way worse than it would have been if you had just heeded the warning when it came up. And tonight we need to see a bit of a spiritual check engine light. We need to take inventory of ourselves and look in the mirror and see how we're just like Jonah because we're gonna see God be incredibly kind to Jonah. We're gonna see God rescue Jonah and be patient with Jonah. And we want him to do the same for us. So I wanna show you five ways that we are just like Jonah and we'll move through them like this. I am just like Jonah when? And I'm gonna show you that there are some things that you and I do often that are just like what Jonah does in the beginning of this story. Five ways we're just like Jonah. Here's the first one. I am just like Jonah when I receive God's word and ignore it. I'm just like Jonah when I receive God's word and ignore it. 
This story begins, as many story be- stories begin in God's word, with God speaking, with God communicating. Look what happens right there in the beginning in verse one. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Praise God, we don't have a God who plays hide and seek and who obscures himself and runs away from us and then expects that we will be smart enough to find our way to him. We have a God who speaks and he here speaks to Jonah. This book begins like a lot of prophetic books begin, but what we're gonna find out is it is a very unique prophetic book. You'll hear this phrase oftentimes in God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to prophets and those prophets were responsible to relay that word to God's people. So almost every prophetic book that you have in your Bible, if you look at the major prophets and the minor prophets, almost all of them are records of what God said through a prophet. But Jonah is very unique because it's not the record of what God said through a prophet. Jonah's the only prophetic book book that is primarily about what God said to a prophet. You see, most prophetic books are a word from a prophet, and this is a story about a prophet. We're gonna see how Jonah reacts when God speaks to him and gives him instructions, and spoiler alert, it's not very good. Now here's why, here's why we're just like Jonah. Because I talk to lots of people, young people and old people and everybody in between, and oftentimes people act like their primary obstacle in relationship with God is that we lack information. Do you know this feeling? Like, well, I've got questions, and if God would just answer some of my hard questions, then maybe I would be faithful to follow him. I just wish I had a little bit more understanding. I just wish I knew a little bit more. And then if I was clearer and if I had a better understanding, then I would follow God. Then I would be obedient. We just want God to give us more information, but more information is not what we need because God has spoken clearly and has spoken abundantly through his word. But you and I oftentimes are like Jonah in that we are unsatisfied with the communication that God has given. So what do we do? Instead of receiving it and understanding it and believing it and trusting God through it, we instead ignore God like Jonah is about to. And so we are just like Jonah when we receive God's word and then we ignore what he said. Our problem is not that God hasn't communicated. He has communicated. Our problem is that we ignore him when he does communicate. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The second way we're just like Jonah is this. We're gonna spend some time on this one. I'm just like Jonah when I hear God's command and reject it. When I hear God's command and reject it, I don't just hear his word, I hear his command. Verse two begins this way. It says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, what's very clear at the outset of this book is that God is in charge. God created everything and therefore he's the boss. So his word comes to Jonah and he tells him what to do. When God communicates, this is what he does, he issues orders. When God communicates, what he's doing is giving commands. Now, this kind of ticks us off. If you're, if you're anything like me, I, I hate being told what to do. Is anybody with me? 
I'm kind of like, I'm in charge, you just back off, I'll take care of myself, I don't want to be told what to do. And so oftentimes when we come face to face with a God who tells us what to do, because he created everything and he is therefore in charge of it, we don't exactly enjoy that. Now, I've come face to face with this reality over the last few years because my son Titus, like I told you, is just like me. If you're a parent, you know kind of the terrifying feeling of seeing this little human being and knowing that they are a little embodiment of your exact personality. And so all of my stubbornness and strong will and hard-headedness has been captured in this little cute boy named Titus. And I am regularly, I am regularly coming up against his will against mine. I'll tell you, it is a surreal experience to look at a little human being that you had a part in creating and give them clear instructions and have them with their little body and their little head look up at you and just say, no. (laughs) You told me to go to my room? No. And in fact, Titus has gotten so into asserting his will over my will that sometimes he will say to me, you are not in charge, I am in charge. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, every like cheesy dad line that's like, I'll send you back where you came from. I'm like yelling things at him like, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world. He's like, I don't know what that means dad, I'm three years old. (laughs) He has just decided, you're not in charge, I'm in charge. What I say goes. And we often are like this with God. God's the boss. God is God. He created everything, he's in charge, he says what goes, and so he rightfully, with his authority, he issues commands and we disobey those commands. We disregard them, we reject them, because we know better and we would rather do what we want to do, and so Jonah does here. Here, a holy God has born witness to the wickedness and the evil that is in Nineveh, and he tells his prophet Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Go to Nineveh and call out to them on my behalf. Jonah's response to God's command is no. No. He doesn't say it verbally, but he walks it out with his actions. It is as if he looks at God and says, you are not in charge, I am in charge. I know better than you, I am smarter than you, I make better judgment calls than you, I know how this should go. And he rejects and disobeys the clear command of God. Now, verse three is gonna tell us that he flees to Tarshish. You see, where Jonah is standing geographically, Nineveh is to the east and Tarshish is to the west. In fact, It is like 1,500 miles to the west. It's as far as you can possibly go in the known world in the opposite direction from where he is supposed to go. And in fact, it's a much more desirable location. If you go and take a look at the places now where Nineveh is, it's in the nation that was called Assyria and it's like a dry desert wasteland and Tarshish is the southern beaches of Spain where people post on Instagram like, you know, they're, they're like beach bikini shots and they're like, I am on the beach in Europe, I am living it up with a Mai Tai, and Jonah's like, I'm going there. That's where I'm going. 
You want me to go to the desert wasteland and talk to these evil, horrible, disgusting people who don't deserve your mercy, I'm gonna go get a pina colada and sit with my Speedo on the sand. That's what I'm gonna do. And he just disregards the command of God. Disregards it. Now, it's important for us to understand what was in this command to Jonah, who the Ninevites were. We'll cut him, I think, a little bit of slack here because Nineveh actually was a horrible and wicked place. If you can conceive of this for a second, it would be kind of like telling a Jewish rabbi in 1942 that they needed to march into Berlin, Germany and walk through the streets and rail against Hitler and the Third Reich. How do you think that would go for the Jewish rabbi? Good or not good? Not good, not good. That's what Jonah is being told. Nineveh was the metropolitan capital of the Assyrian Empire who were the sworn enemy of the Israelites. This nation was known for their imperial power. They were bloodthirsty and they conquered everything in sight. And when they conquered foreign nations, they would commit unspeakable acts of violence against men and women and children. In fact, some of the resources I was reading as I prepared for this described the kind of violent acts that I couldn't repeat on this stage or I'd never be invited back to Hume. Awful disgusting, vile, horrible things these Ninevites did to people that they conquered. And so Jonah hears it. Jonah hears the command of God to go and preach to these people, and he says, no way. I'm not doing that. Surely Jonah was thinking there's only two possible outcomes. Outcome number one, I walk into the city, I give them the message, and they kill me, and I'm dead. That doesn't sound like a very good day for me. Option number two, I walk into the city and they actually hear what I have to say. And if I'm being honest, that's worse. Because if those disgusting people who are cut off from your grace and don't deserve your mercy, if they receive the same loving kindness that I've received, I'll be really angry about it. In fact, that's what we're gonna see later in the story of Jonah. Jonah's convinced that these people don't deserve the mercy of God, so he will not bring it to them. And this is a, this is a central theme in the story of Jonah. God wants to give mercy to wicked sinners. God loves the Ninevites and wants to show them grace, and Jonah hates the Ninevites and wants them to burn. And we see this horrible conflict between the heart of God and his desire to show mercy and this heart of the rebellious prophet who just wants God's judgment. So he disobeys. Now, there's two ways that you can disobey God. And we see both of them in this story. There's the Ninevite way to disobey God, which is that you live in outright rebellion against God. You forsake God's law, you defy him, and you flaunt your moral twistedness doing whatever you want to do and living in your path of sin and the desires of the flesh and wickedness. That's one way to disobey God, the Ninevite way, and then there's the Jonah way to disobey God, which is you kind of front as a religious person who's kind of buddy-buddy with God and has this thing going on, but when God tells you something that you don't want to do, you ignore him and you do whatever you wanna do. 
And you try to maintain your status or your relationship as someone who knows God and has a relationship with God, but actually you are in charge of your life and you are gonna do whatever you want to do. And so I'm willing to bet that most of us, the vast majority of us who've come from churches in the Fresno area, we're more likely to disobey God the Jonah way. To show up in church, to be around people, to maybe put on a good face, and yet in our heart of hearts, we're in charge of our life, and what we say goes, not God. What about you? Which way have you chosen to disobey God? Because we all do. Are you living in overt rebellion? Are you, do you just fully embrace the fact that you want nothing to do with what God wants? Are you the kind of person that if your friend circle found out that you were at Hume, they would be shocked? That person went to a Christian camp? Are you serious? What are they doing there? They want nothing to do with God. Or are you a Christian kid who's kind of grown up in the church or been around it for a long time and you give lip service to the fact that you want a relationship with God, but you live actually however you want to live? However way, whichever way we choose to disobey God, we're just like Jonah. We choose to live in disobedience. If you want to run away from God, if you want to ignore what God says, there will always be a ship waiting in the, in the harbor to take you to the Tarshish of your choice where you will get what you want and you can be the king of your life. This is what sin is. It's hearing the clear command of God and it's rejecting it. Many of us are living in this right now. You have an area of your life that you know God has commanded you. God has spoken to you. God has told you what to do, which he has the right to do because he made you, and yet you've looked at God and said, God, I know you've told me to live this way in my relationships or in my thought life or in my home or with what I do at my job or how I pursue this guy or this girl or what that looks like or how I think about money or how I relate to my friends. I know you've told me what to do, but I don't wanna do what you wanna do. And when we choose to hear the command of God and reject it, we're just like Jonah. There's a third way that we're just like Jonah, and it's this. I'm just like Jonah when I encounter God's presence and I run from it. When I encounter God's presence and I run from it. This is a quick one. Look at what verse three says. Verse three says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from what? From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. Here's the thing, Jonah has been with God. Jonah has related to God. Jonah has heard from God. Jonah has been in the presence of God and now he is working his tail off to get away from God. The, the, the story actually tells us that he is running away from God's presence. Now, Jonah's a prophet, and I'm sure he knows what Psalm 139 says, right? In that psalm, it says, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the depths of Sheol, you're there. If I go out to the wings of the morning, you're there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. I can't go anywhere to get away from you, God. And I bet if you gave Jonah a theological quiz, like, hey, can you actually outrun God? He would tell you no, and yet he's trying his best. He's trying to get away from the God that he has related to and known. He's running away from him. I'm willing to bet that there's a bunch of you who have encountered God in some way before. Maybe even it's been here at Hume Lake. There was a whole bunch of returners who raised their hands. And I, 
I bet you have come face to face before with the love of God and you have felt drawn into a relationship with God and you've had a desire to take steps of obedience with God and to know him and to serve him and yet as you've gone down the hill and back into your normal life, that passion has faded and the God that you once wanted to be near to, now you are trying to run away from. Maybe even as you come up the hill and back to Hume, maybe somewhere in your heart you're asking God, I know I've been in your presence before. I know, I know I've heard from you before. Could, could I hear from you again? This is the wonder of the patience and the kindness and the mercy of God. That no matter how foolish and forgetful his people are, he loves us and he wants to meet with us again. Despite the fact that we have run away from his presence, he would meet with us. So if tonight you're doing everything you can to get away from God, and even leading up to this, you've spent time in flight away from God, he wants to meet with you, despite the fact that you are just like Jonah. Here's number four. I'm just like Jonah when I experience God's pursuit and sleep through it. When I experience God's pursuit and I sleep through it, Look at what happens in verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse four says that As Jonah gets on this boat, he gets on the ship and he goes to sail away, as far away from where God wants him as possible, that God hurls a storm. The idea is like God throws a cosmic fastball down from heaven to catch up with Jonah. What's so remarkable about this is I think oftentimes we think of the storm as God punishing Jonah, but nothing could be further from the truth. If God wanted to punish Jonah, he would just let him go and do his thing. Instead of punishing him with a storm, he's pursuing him with a storm. He throws the storm at him to interrupt his plans. We'll talk a lot more about that tomorrow morning. But in the beginning of the scene, we see the storm raging, and these these polytheistic pagan sailors, these guys don't know God, because what we see right away is when they get in a horrible situation, they start calling out to every god that they can possibly imagine. They're like playing god roulette and just trying to come up with a god that will help them, or if they cry out to enough gods, maybe one of them will hear from heaven and stop the storm that they're in. They're hoping that somebody will listen to them, and the storm is so severe that they're actually throwing their cargo overboard. ditching all of their money that they're gonna make from the ship because they're just hoping that it will be able to save their lives. Think about just for a moment the chaos of this. If you've ever been out in the open ocean and seen those giant rolling waves and the chaos of the water, you'll know a little bit what this feels like. The ship is breaking, the storm is raging, the sailors are freaking out, the chaos is swirling all around, and what is Jonah doing? snoozing. Jonah is catching some Z's in the bottom part of the ship while everything is falling apart. This is amazing. I have to wonder, how how could he do it? How in the world could, could he be in such a deep sleep when all of this chaos and danger is right in front of him? 
Have you ever been to the dentist and got one of those shots that like numbs your mouth and your face? And then for hours after the dentist, you're like, and like you can't, you got nothing and you talk all funny and you're like drooling and you don't actually know it and someone has to say, hey pal, you got something there. You know what I'm talking about? And your face is all numb. It's a little bit dangerous to be desensitized like that. One time when my little brother was very young, he went to the dentist and he got a shot to fill a cavity or whatever was going on. And when he came out of the dentist, several hours later, as he started to get feeling back in his mouth, he realized that he had chewed his tongue to a bloody mess because he couldn't feel that he was chewing on it. It's really important that you are sensitive to the things that you need to be sensitive to and what sin is doing in this moment to Jonah and what sin does to you and me is it desensitizes us. It makes us numb. It, it turns off our sensory perception to things that should, be, oh, that things should be loud to us. This is what sin does to our soul, it numbs us. When we should be awake and aware that God is trying to get our attention, God is trying to speak to us, God is trying to relate to us, God wants to know us, and we're just in like a stupor. We can't hear him, we can't see him because we've been numbed by the presence of sin. So we're totally ignorant to the fact that our sin is hurting the people around us. We're too distracted to realize that God is calling our name and wants to relate to us. Maybe you feel like you used to be sensitive to the things of God. You used to want to know God and pursue God and be in relationship with God, but now it feels like you are numb. Your heart is hard and you are cold and distant. If that's you tonight, if you're just like Jonah, like I so often have been in my life, when God is pursuing me and I'm sleeping through it, then hear the words of the captain in verse six. The captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. If you've come into Hume even this weekend and you feel spiritually dead, and lifeless, and numb, and cold. The invitation of God this weekend is, what are you doing sleeping? Wake up and call out to God, and he will show you his mercy. There's one more way that you're just like Jonah. We'll wrap up with this. I am just like Jonah when I know God's power, and I dismiss it. I know God's power, and I dismiss it. Verse seven says this, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They basically did the ancient version of rolling the dice to find out who brought all this trouble and surprise, surprise, it identifies Jonah as the problem. So what do they do? They ask him for his biographical information. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? That's kind of awesome. Of all the questions you they could ask, they're like, we're gonna die. The storm is gonna sink our ship. What do you do for work? <laughs> By chance, like what's, what's on your LinkedIn profile? <laughs> they ask him what his job is. And it just so happens, they ask him exactly the right question. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. <laughs> if you read that, you're like, oh, come on. I fear the Lord. Are you serious? The guy who's running away from God wants nothing to do with what he's been told to do. He goes, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea 
and the dry land. Now, imagine the sailor's response. What's amazing about this is they seem to take him at his word, that the God he describes, which they probably think is just like, you know, the God of the Hebrew people, because they worshiped a whole bunch of gods, remember they were just calling out to him. He says, I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they're like, okay, hold on, let me get this straight. You worship the God who spoke the sea into existence and you have chosen to run away from him on a boat? Copy that. Verse 10 says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done for the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah is trying to do what is impossible. Jonah is trying to escape the God of the universe. Jonah knows the power of God and yet he's trying to get away. He is dismissing what he knows to be true and he's trying to escape. This is what we find in the story of Jonah and it's what we need to come face to face with in our own story, that running from God makes no sense whatsoever. You can't actually do it. You'll never be able to get out of his sight. You'll never be able to get away from his presence and his power. You can't actually run away from God. And what we find out in this story is that when we are running from God, God is running after us. God wants to show us who he is. The God who is all powerful and all knowing, he's inviting us, just like he was inviting Jonah, to participate in his supernatural plan to renew and restore all of creation and he wants us to get in. He wants us to be part of what he's doing. But so often we dismiss him as not worthy of our time. I've got something better to do, I know a better way. We often think that we are running for our lives when actually what we're doing is running from our life. God himself and his power, he is the source of all good and all blessing and all beauty and all love and when we choose to run away from him, we're running from the very thing that we need. In his mercy, he's coming after us because he knows we're selfish. He knows we're sinful. He knows we're short-sighted. He knows we are just like Jonah. All of this boils down to this reality of sin. All of this, everything we've just read, everything we've just learned about ourselves as we've looked in the mirror of the story of Jonah. We see Jonah is messed up because he's a sinner and so are you and so am I. We've rebelled against the God who made us. We've heard his word and ignored it. We've received his commands and rejected them. We've wanted nothing to do with him and we have run far away from him. We've ignored him and dismissed him and dishonored him and devalued him and belittled him through our rebellion and sin. Now maybe you think to yourself, Nick, I I was really hoping to come to Hume and like receive some encouragement and this is just quite a downer of a first message. Like why, why start here? And here's why. The reason I begin here and the reason the book of Jonah begins here and the reason it's so valuable for us to come face to face with this truth that we're just like Jonah is this. 
God loves to help people who know that they need him. God loves to help people who know that they need him. And if you will continue to walk in the deception that you are good enough on your own, that you've got it handled, that you've got this thing figured out and squared away, that you'll get it, you'll get it ironed out on your own. If you continue to walk in that, God will have nothing of his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his love to offer you because you don't think you even need him. But for those of us who will humble ourselves, admit reality, and confess, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. I'm just as hard-hearted, I'm just as weak, I'm just as short-sighted, I'm just as sinful, I'm just as selfish, I am Jonah. If you and I will get to the place where we can admit that about ourselves, then the floodgates of God's mercy and God's love and God's restoring power and God's grace will open upon us and we will experience him in a powerful way. God loves to help those who know that they need him. And so my prayer for you as you begin this weekend is that your heart would be humbled before a holy God, that you would see him in all of his glory and his power and his majesty and his might, and you would see the reality of your own sinfulness and your own need, and then you would experience the glory and the mercy of those two things being reconciled and God meeting you right where you at right where you're at, and giving you what you need. We're just like Jonah. But the good news for us this week, though we get the bad news, the hard pill, that we're just like Jonah, what we're gonna see through the rest of the weekend is that in his kindness, God loves people like Jonah. I'm super excited to get into the rest of this book with you this weekend, and I'm praying and anticipating that God will show up in power and reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for revealing your mercy and your grace through this story of Jonah. God, I pray that we would encounter you in a very real way, that as we admit to ourselves that we're just like Jonah, we're just as weak and sinful and selfish as he was, God, I pray that that humbling reality would draw us near to you, that as we humble ourselves, you would meet us in that place, that as we draw near to you in humility and repentance, you would draw near to us, that, God, we would no longer be proud because the Bible says that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, make us humble. Help us to see ourselves the way we really are and God, would you just meet us in that place and give us your grace. We love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.